0: Good morning and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that... uh tackles, despite our odd name, we tackle some pretty interesting and difficult topics. We've done shows, as you know, about uh, women who've been in prison for uh, killing their abusers. We've done shows on... Uh, um, last week we did a show on uh, sexual assault of children, and next week we're going to be doing another uh, show on uh, abuse. And we have talked about the Ray Rice situation, who is just seems to be the The uh, latest in a long string of uh, professional athletes who are accused of uh, domestic violence and who have been convicted of domestic violence. Today we are pretty fortunate because we have with us Michael O'Keefe. Michael is an award-winning reporter for the New York Daily News, and he wrote a really impressive uh, article, I think, not only for its uh, content, but also uh, the way it read was very smooth. Uh, You you know, you talk to an old uh, journalist, Michael, and this is what you get. You wrote it really well. (laughs)
1: Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome.
0: Um, So joining us is Michael O'Keefe. Michael, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, Michael, I gave just a bare-bones thing about you being an award-winning reporter. Can you give us a little bit more information about your background as a reporter?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. I've been uh, working for newspapers and magazines and websites for uh, about 30 years now. Um, I've been with the New York Daily News uh, since 1999. I was uh, one of the original members on the sports investigative team that my uh, boss and friend uh, Terry Thompson um put together back in 2000, and we've really, we've focused on a lot of, you know, important issues that that deal with sports, but they're sort of off-the-field issues. Uh, Most recently, we've been spending a lot of time on the domestic violence issues, the scandal that's been confronting the NFL, Uh, but we've also done a lot of stories about uh, steroids and performance-enhancing drugs in sports. Um, We've done a lot of stories about sexual abuse in sports. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of stories about the business end of sports, uh, stadium financing, and th- those sorts of issues. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun ride, and uh, hopefully it will continue to be so.
0: Oh, I'm sure it will. Um, one of the things that seems to be rampant, no matter how long ago you're looking at it or um, how what team, whether you're looking at baseball, football, it doesn't seem to matter, these athletes almost seem to be out of control. Um, are they... You know, is everybody so in awe of these athletes that they just give them a pass on some of this outrageous behavior? Or is that a a misnomer? I mean, do they just – does it just seem like there's more of them getting in trouble because they are so much in the news?
1: Well, I think that's a big part of it. You know, when an athlete uh, is arrested uh, for domestic violence or DUI or anything else, uh, uh, he or she is going to get attention – that an accountant or a plumber may not, you know, just because of their the, the, the nature of their jobs. Uh, you know, I think some sports have got more problems than others. I mean, we're seeing in the NFL, well, one of the issues that's coming up with the NFL, and maybe it's a little different from, say, Major League Baseball, look, you know, every industry and every sort of walk of life has got problems with domestic violence and sexual abuse and, and sexual assault. It it It, it doesn't – it's not just isolated to one industry. But I think what we're seeing with the NFL specifically is that there is a culture there uh, that is uh, extremely hierarchical, extremely patriarchal, um, and it it doesn't respond well to these kinds of issues. Uh, and I think maybe we could also extend it to football in general because we see this at the college level and even the high school level as well.
0: Hmm. You know, I was out walking and ran into a former Seattle Seahawk uh, from years ago and I asked him about the Ray Rice situation. He was very. Um, this this is the kind of response that I get frequently from people uh, about domestic violence. Well, she kind of started it. Um, which, excuse me, especially with a football player who's what six foot five and you know close to three hundred pounds or somebody. Who cares whether she started anything or not? And. Um, you know this this is kind of an uh, apology for the football player you know this is excuse making for the football players i see I that think as well that's part of the
1: problem that we see in the NFL is just an awful lot of ignorance about these issues and you know the people in charge and the players um to a large extent haven't gone out of their way to educate themselves on these issues uh, I mean, it might be helpful just to sort of talk about uh, specifically about the NFL. What the NFL is, you know, it's a corporate entity, first of all, um, first and foremost, and its and its main interest, like all corporate entities, is to generate profits and continue to have revenue and to protect its brand. And so, when players who are you know basically the product of the NFL is its players and its games, um, and when you have a player uh who's accused of sexual assault or domestic violence or something like that it takes away from the brand and so uh rather than sort of confront that what we've seen with the NFL is they try to hide it or they ignore it or uh they they try to uh you know basically just cover things up i look at there's a couple of examples that we might give here uh in which the NFL sort of is not completely honest or pushes an argument that really doesn't hold water uh, just to prove, you know, just to show that it is a corporate entity that doesn't, despite all these claims from Roger Goodell, that the NFL is going to be a moral beacon in uh, terms of domestic violence sexual assault, they've yet to prove that. Um, stadium construction, for example, we're told time and time again and community after community that if we put up millions of dollars in uh, taxpayer money to build stadiums, it'll create jobs and help our economies. Every independent economist that you talk to say, no, it's just not true. And yet that is the argument that gets repeated over and over again. I think an even more important issue in looking at the NFL and its sort of, you know, as a corporate entity was the the concussion issue. You know, the NFL fought and argued against the emerging science on the long-term damages of concussions and traumatic brain injuries for a long time. Uh and that is extremely relevant to the domestic violence issue because uh concussions and traumatic brain injuries uh may be tied to uh domestic violence in the NFL.
0: Hm. That could be. Um, I haven't seen any research on that, but I can see where, you know, that there might be some thinking about that. Although aren't the brain injuries cumulative over time? A lot of these guys are brand new to the NFL uh when they are uh caught you know in a most guys D- only a been three or four years.
1: years in the league, but you know there's researchers at boston University hBO's Real Sports just did a segment on this that's one of the things they're looking at They have a the sports Legacy Institute at Boston University um, and they've been studying concussions and traumatic brain injuries, and they actually take the brains of uh, deceased football players and boxers and soccer players, hockey players, other people who have suffered from uh, traumatic brain injuries, also veterans, military veterans. And they've been studying them, and one of the hypotheses that they're lo- looking at now is whether or not concussions ca- are. You know, you don't want to take. The, you don't want to say that someone is a is a, is a uh, wife beater because he suffered from a concussion. There's still a great deal of responsibility there, but what the Boston University people are looking at is the question is, you know, the, the part of the brain that most frequently gets damaged in football is also the part of the brain that controls. Uh, our uh, ability to control our anger, emotions, uh, those sorts of things. Impulse. Uh, and so maybe guys who might nor- normally be, might be able to control their emotions or, or have a less ability to do so now as a result of, of concussions. There's also chronic pain. You know, Just if you're in chronic pain like a lot of these players are, uh, you're going to be testier. You're going to be angrier uh, than you might. So, again, these are not excuses for domestic violence, but they may give us a context of why this is more of a problem uh, in the NFL than it appears to be elsewhere.
0: If that were the case, though, um, you know, one of the things that we see with domestic violence is people say think it's an anger issue, and it's not. It's power and control over somebody else. So if it were really the case where the brain injury is uh, increasing the likelihood of domestic violence, wouldn't it increase the likelihood of violence in general?
1: Yes, and well, we we certainly see players who have uh, suffered from traumatic brain injuries who just have a loss of control in general, not only with their spouses or girlfriends, but also with their kids, also with you know strangers and things like that. I've talked to many players. I guess again, all this is anecdotal, um, with the sure. exception, of course, the research from Boston University. But the anecdotal evidence that I've heard from players is that um, because of the pain they're in and because of uh, you know, they, they, they they they're depressed they're in a fog they just become their fuses become much shorter than they were when they feel like when they were healthier
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and maybe they tend to blame more than they would have i don't know if you would like to join our conversation i hope you do because uh, you know help me out here i don't know all that much about football know a lot about domestic violence but not necessarily the athletic team so give me a hand let me know your opinion it is 646 646- Three seven eight zero, four, three zero, that's six four, six, three, seven eight, zero, four, three, zero. Call in and let us know what you have to say about this topic. Well, whatever the reason that we see this kind of, this level of um, of violence and domestic violence in uh, athletes, pro athletes, because it's also baseball. I mean, you know, Hope Solo is soccer. Uh, You know, there's a whole slew of these uh, athletes, um, excuse me, who step over lines and um, uh, commit acts of domestic violence. And, one of the things that um, someone had mentioned to me, now, that, again, this is anecdotal, I don't have uh, research on this, that the, in fact, the um, that, that lack of impulse control, that level of uh, aggression is something that's encouraged because of, of the sport that they're playing. Have you seen that? That's,
1: that's particularly true of football. Um, you know, I would argue that baseball uh, and, uh, you know, maybe basketball, don't have that same sort of uh, stress on, uh, you know, being aggressive, uh, you know, putting your own pain aside. Uh, we we see that a lot in football and uh, you know, maybe to a lesser extent hockey uh, or, you know, and certainly boxing also is another sport where you have to be aggressive when we see again guys with these brain issues that may lead to lack of, uh, you know, control. Well, uh, it's very much the case. You know, you are rewarded for being aggressive and Uh, You know, really getting out there and and, and pushing your body and punishing others.
0: Yeah. I think uh, a lot of folks in the domestic violence community have been talking for a long time about domestic violence and um, football, especially. Um, But for some reason, in the last few months, people have started to pay a little bit more attention. And by people, I mean the people who control and have uh, authority over the NFL. And, of course, my theory about that, and I don't think it's terribly disputed, is that the reason that they gave Ray Rice the little pat on the hand was that they were following the status quo. And they were outraged and surprised and completely taken off uh, balance by the level of response to that, not from the public necessarily, but from their sponsors. Um, well, I think that's as right. As you mentioned...
1: Yeah, go ahead. I think I, I think that the sponsors are reacting to the, the outrage they're hearing from the public and you know from uh, from the media, uh, and they're they're sort of sticking their finger in the wind and seeing which way the wind is blowing and telling the NFL, mm-hmm. you got to get your uh, ducks in a row. I mean, at the end of the day, some sponsors, you know, Anheuser Busch being a big one, uh, you know, put out press statements that said we're not happy with this situation, but. They, they didn't really do anything substantial with it. Um,
0: okay. So, so they just I don't know how much, and that was it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it really comes down to what individual fans are willing to do. You know, there's a great book I would recommend that your uh, your, your listeners uh, check out, written by a guy named Steve Almond, and it's called Against Football. And Steve was ah. a passionate football fan, played football as, as a kid, and he. You know, he basically says that the amount of uh, violence that's inherent in the game and the consequences of that violence—the concussions to the players, the broken players, the domestic violence, and the sexual assaults that come out of that—you um, know—as well as the, you know the the taxpayer money that gets used to build stadiums that never really seems to wind up as an investment helping out communities—he he lays out mm-hmm. a very cogent and a very well-written argument why people should stop. Paying attention to football right now, so I recommend that highly to your, your your listeners.
0: Yeah, and you actually wrote an article about this. I'm looking for the date on this. It was just in September of this, year, just last, you know, two months ago, last month, I guess. Uh, you wrote an article about that book, and uh, I read the article, and uh, wow, this guy's impressive. This this uh, almond guy is uh, seems to really understand the whole dynamic there. Yeah. Okay, so we come to present day where um, Roger Goodall is saying, oh, you know, we're going to take care of this, we're going to take care of this, and and the NFL is saying, oh, yeah, we're going to have a really stringent new policy, and in, as a matter of fact, we're going to call in an expert to help us develop our policy. And that expert happens to be a former uh, sex crimes prosecutor from Manhattan, Lisa Friel. And you have some very definite uh, feelings about Lisa with Friel. Do you yeah, want to share well, those
1: with us? Uh, to give context to why Friel was brought in, and maybe to, to go back to a point that you made earlier, uh, the NFL, you know, Ray Rice, um, he gets arrested for domestic violence. They bring in his wife, and they say, so, you know, she, she issues a statement saying, I'm sorry of all the ridiculous things in the world. I'm sorry for the role I played in this. It wasn't until the, the videos were posted on TMZ that the public, you know, it's one thing to hear that a guy is arrested for domestic violence, but when you see the brutality of the punch that he threw, um, you, you know, it's shocking. It's just really that that video was re- I remember the first time I saw it and I gasped. It was so awful. Uh, oh, yeah. but that's really what got people going. And, you know, the fact that the NFL gave this guy a two game suspension for this um, was outrageous. And it, it shows that the NFL... Really, the people in the front office, and they—they and they admitted. I mean, Roger Goodell. We're not saying anything that Roger Goodell would, would argue against. So they admitted we we blew it. Uh, we we didn't really know how to handle, how to respond to these issues. So they bring in Lisa Friel. and my my question about Lisa Friel is, you know, she—I know there's a lot of people that I've spoken to who felt she was a very effective prosecutor. Um, my big issue with her was that uh, after she left the district attorney's office in Manhattan, she joined a company called the t and Protection Resources. They were hired uh, to conduct an investigation to sexual abuse at Yeshiva University here in New York. Uh, Yeshiva had a high school, still has a high school that it, that it operates, and there were 34 men uh, at that school who claimed that they were sexually abused by uh, teachers uh, at the school, including one who later became the principal. And the, the allegations in the lawsuit that they filed were really shocking and disturbing. Um, Freil got hired, and her firm got hired uh, as part of an internal investigation that the university did in this. They, they 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 issued a 21-page report that said they talked to thousands of they they talked to 145 people. They reviewed millions of pages of documents, uh, went through. All sorts of uh, spent, you know, thousands of hours looking at this. So apparently, they did, according to them, a very uh, exhaustive investigation. But none of it was ever made public. And the, the attorney for these 34 men and others that I've spoken to say that is just the wrong way to do it. If you're going to do something like that, it needs to be transparent. You need to be you need to make it public. Um, it needs to be done in a way that helps to uh, uh, bring the truth out. Uh, it needs to be done in a spirit of healing for the, the victims and the survivors. Um needs to give uh, information to alumni and families and, you know, current students. And then Freel allowed herself and her company to be used in what a lot of people feel was just sort of like a masquerade. They were just doing this to act like they cared. And then at the end of the day, y- Yeshiva um, was really just interested in Defeating the lawsuit through the courts via the you know New York has very um, uh, awful uh, is the best way to put it statute of limitations. But it's certainly not uh, a unique uh, position
0: issue. for any company to take. I mean, it it that happens.
1: Uh, we cer- certainly, I mean the Catholic Church is the biggest example of of that, right? Um, sure. And and look at how the Catholic Church has how it's you know how it has suffered around the world as a result of the way it has handled it. So it, it's certainly not an uncommon thing for for institutions to do, um, but it's not the right thing for them to do. Uh, Penn State University, I think, is a better example. Because it's a public institution and it has to have a certain amount of accountability to the public, uh, You know, they brought in Louis Free, a former FBI director, who conducted an investigation that was made public. You know, he named names. He pointed fingers when it was appropriate and i think that's much more helpful it's much more healing mhm
0: yeah i was trying to do a little research on uh lisa friel and d- didn't really find much of anything about her um but some of her statements were that you reported were kind of um surprising to me in one way but not in another um, I know, you know, we we tend, as a society, tend to just jump on something with both feet, and then three weeks later we've forgotten it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, one of her comments is that, uh, I'm not quoting her, but one of her comments was that, that she had to take into account a number of factors, including, uh, you know, the, the player himself and, uh, what, you know, what's fair to the player and what's accurate. And um, and a lot of people saw that as waffling. Um, some people saw it as, um, you know, this is fairness, you know, that she's actually not just going to come in there guns blazing to get after all these, mad, you know, bad boys, but that she's going to balance everything um, in, in the name of fairness. How did you see those comments that she made?
1: Well, I I appreciate her respect for you know the rights of the accused. Uh, You know, due process is an important part of our justice system, and I think it should even extend to you know sort of corporate investigations. What is basically you know she she was brought in to help the NFL conduct. Um, I think one of the things that really bothered me, and here's here's the big meme that we hear from I hear from a lot of agents and executives in the NFL and even some players they're very worried that a player is going to be falsely accused of uh, whether it's sexual assault or uh, domestic violence. Uh, Maybe a gambler, you know, some sort of mafia type of organization will pressure a woman, say that her husband uh, or boyfriend beat her uh, a couple of days before a big game and then this guy will be suspended. Uh, But, you know, as you know, false reporting on these kind of issues is so rare it almost seems yes. like they've got it backwards if that's what you're worried about. And Friel made the statement, uh, she's made it a couple of times in, in interviews, that they don't want to have a zero-tolerance policy because they're, they're afraid that will shut down reporting, that women will be less likely to report domestic violence if their boyfriend or husband will uh, potentially lose his career as a result of that report, Um it seems to me like that's already happening. That women, you know, exactly. there was a great story in the Washington Post last weekend, and I would recommend your listeners uh, uh, find that, where they interviewed a couple of uh, 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 women who have who were uh, domestic violence victims, uh, whose abusers were NFL players, and, you know, the, the silence from the league and the union and the teams was just stunning. It was everything was about protecting the league, protecting the team, protecting the player. Um, yeah. You know, they they the the women that were interviewed for that story felt like they had nowhere to go, and the NFL was actively, uh, or people involved with the NFL were actively pushing them in a way where they just you got to drop it because it's yep. not this isn't going anywhere.
0: Yeah, and I've read a couple of articles about women, you know, who came forward again after the Ray Rice thing, and said that you know they actually had uh, little cadres of of uh, wives. Uh, who would go uh, to visit another wife who had made an accusation of domestic violence, and basically pressure her to to forget the whole thing in the name of the league? Yeah, that, that's that's sort of the theme of the Washington
1: Post story I read last week as well. It was really well written, um, but that that that's the problem with the NFL. The problem isn't uh, of false reporting. The problem is is that there's a culture there, and this is really what I wanted to address on my piece the other day. That there's a culture there that uh doesn't understand these issues at all, and so far they haven't proven to us that that they're really making an attempt to do that now they might be um but given the fact that they've hired Lisa Friel who's already once let herself be used uh to uh, allay fears and 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 to, you know uh protect an institution i i just i'm I'm, I'm not buying that that anything is going to really change until I see something that is substantial
0: yeah yeah what do you think it would take what do you think the nfl should do just bring in a different person um do you think they should um i what what should they do
1: well you know there was certainly there was i I could think of a lot of better people uh who they could have brought in they certainly could have brought in uh you know linda Fairstein here in new york i've had a couple of lawyers familiar with these issues said she would be an excellent person um Looking at Robert Mueller, the FBI uh, uh, former director who they brought in to conduct an investigation into the whole Bryce thing, you know, his law firm um, has ties to the NFL. They've been working with the NFL for decades. And so anytime I think you're bringing groups like that, you really need to bring in someone who's independent, who's got a history of uh, of, of uh, being courageous and sort of being open and honest and uh, we'll we'll just sort of put things out there and let the chips fall where they may. I, I think the NFL dropped the ball in terms of that. Um, you know, I don't know that a zero-tolerance policy is the way to go. I, that's, that's probably uh, uh, an issue for uh, uh, people who are smarter than me. But I, I do think what they need to be doing is rather than talking about giving money to, I mean, I'm glad that they're giving money to the National Domestic Violence Hotline and other mm-hmm. organizations like that, and I'm glad that they're doing these PSAs but what they've got to show us is that they're changing the culture within the teams, within the locker rooms. You know, why that the guys who are accused of domestic violence or child abuse or sexual assault uh, are are no longer going to be tolerated. You know, one thing maybe they might do is start a, an internal fund for women. Um, you know, women. One of the problems that we have, is, as I'm sure you know, and all your listeners know, is that. Uh, women often don't leave abusers for economic reasons. They have nowhere to go. They don't have any money. They don't have resources Mm -hmm. to move away. Maybe one thing the NFL could do, I I think, was make a huge statement. Let's put a couple of million dollars in a bank account for women who uh, are domestic violence uh, victims of our players. And, um, you know, let's, let's do away with that fear. Let's at least make money, not the issue as to why they're not leaving.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um that's a great idea. And I think that gosh, if the NFL would take your advice, I mean that would be fantastic. Um I doubt that they would do that though. <laughs> They don't uh, you really know, listen to me. <laughs> no, they're not listening to either of us, you know. I mean, look what can we <laughs> say? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, that, you're a- absolutely spot on with that whole economic need. Well, and I know that, uh, I can't remember Ray Rice's girlfriend, but, uh, you know, she got so much flack about um, staying with him and then cons- uh, subsequently marrying him. Um, but this is from people who don't really understand that dynamic. You don't know what she was threatened with, you know, if she didn't go through with it. She, you don't know how she was wooed into thinking that the, and, and being told that he was going to change and, you know, that the football league was going to stand behind him and help him change, you know. Um, and there's a lot at risk. There's a, a book out called Not to People Like Us, or Not to Women Like Us, I think it's called. And it's a, uh, the only book I've ever encountered on... Um, high-economic-status women who go through domestic violence. And I think because so many women who go through domestic violence are so poor and so broke, and money is such a huge issue, that they tend to poo-poo women who have the resources. Um, But there is just as much pressure on those women, because, first of all, it's not their money in their bank account. Just because they're married to somebody with money doesn't mean they have the money. And we don't know you know, what these these football wives have at stake and what they're threatened with. Um, That's right. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, live in a glass house and then you can throw the stone. Um, so I want to get back to Lisa Friel. What's your biggest concern about her? Do you, are you concerned because you just don't know or are you concerned because you think that she's bad for this job? Or, you know, what what do you think?
1: Uh, well, I... I, I... I've heard good things about her from uh, people who have been involved in the domestic violence issue, whether, you know, attorneys or uh, social workers or psychologists uh, here in New York. She had a good reputation as a prosecutor. My main concern is that uh, this is another uh, institution like the University, University uh, that, you know, the NFL is another institution that uh, has hired a woman um, uh, to, to sort of allay people's outrage and, act like it is taking an active and responsible role in addressing these issues and at the end of the day she'll do whatever she does and then walk away and we don't ever really there's no transparency there that was the situation with the yeshiva university case um and my my fear with her is that this will be sort of the same thing that there will be no transparency there'll be a lot of talk about uh we care um but there won't be any real internal change
0: And donations to domestic violence uh, uh, causes. That's right. I mean, the NFL is good at writing checks,
1: um, and it's good at public relations, and it's good at marketing. Uh, Whether it's good at self-reflection and internal growth and change remains to be seen.
0: They could write me a check. (laughs) (laughs) I have a mortgage, okay? Um, uh, Again, I'm going to throw out this phone number, 646-378-0430. That's six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. I'd like to hear from some of you guys out there and uh tell us if you think that we're on uh the right track here or if we're just making making waves for no good reason in your article, uh Michael, you said that um it will take- that Lisa Friel said it will take months for the n f l to craft a new policy on domestic violence, okay. I don't think it should take months. Why do you think it should take it will take so long? Do you think this is just one of those things where if they drag it out people will forget?
1: I mean that's a possibility. Um and you know one of my fears is that uh they will make this they'll they'll unveil this at around the time of the Super Bowl. And they'll have a press conference and people will uh report on it. And then it just gets lost in the hype around the Super Bowl. You know, the Super Bowl is such a big deal in American culture. It really is an unofficial holiday in our country now. Um, people are focusing on the game and focusing on the entertainment and on the commercials and everything else. Uh, but a lot of these important issues, when they get brought up in press conferences, things around at Super Bowl week, um, they just tend to, to get lost in the shuffle. So that, that's one Big fear, uh, but I, you know I, I I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's a difficult position. I'm not sure that there's any easy answers to to all these questions. How the NFL should handle this, these situations? Do they wait for you know what? To be fair to a player who's been accused, do you suspend him with or without pay immediately after there's an arrest? Uh, if there is no arrest, do you do you pay do you pay him? Do you suspend him? You know what? When is the time that the NFL needs to take action? What can they do in terms of investigating the validity of the claims and whether or not there's evidence that the uh, the, the crime took place? Uh, at the same time, trying to stay out of the way of what law enforcement is doing. Um, so I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that this, they've got a tough task, and I don't think there's any easy answers. They have a lot of uh, different competing interests that they have to weigh. Um, but, you know, hopefully th- this won't be done in a way where, Uh, it's just hidden uh, behind the glamour and glitz of the Super Bowl, or, you know, it just becomes sort of a uh, back-burner story.
0: Yeah, which, again, you know, we tend to do that as a culture. We get all hot and bothered and in a swivet, uh, and then two weeks later we've forgotten pretty much all about it. That's Um, right. So, you know, my hope is is that this is not something that they're going to just, you know, um, allay people's irritation with them, Uh, with some fancy words and a few checks, as you mentioned. Um, I hope that they do take this issue seriously, and I hope that Lisa Friel is the one who can do that. As far as, uh, you know, that is a tough question. What You know, if a guy is accused, we know, having worked in domestic violence, that there are very few false accusations. As a matter of fact, in about three weeks, I'm going to have somebody, a former FBI agent, who's going to be talking about uh, false accusations, and uh, the FBI came up with a report uh, that um, reiterates that there are extremely few false allegations. Um, but and, and also, left, uh, I uh, yeah? word,
1: it's worth pointing out that, 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 if anything, these crimes are vastly underreported.
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you take, you you look at these guys who are actually convicted. There's just a fraction of those, there's a fraction of people who commit these these crimes who are actually called out on them. Of those that are called out, there's just a fraction that are prosecuted. And of the ones that are prosecuted, there's only a fraction of those who are actually convicted. So the chances of an actual conviction are pretty slim nevertheless with our legal system we say that you're you know you're not you're not guilty of anything unless you've been uh found guilty so if you look at the nfl's problem from the standpoint of our our legal system can you punish those people who've been accused we may know that uh chances are real high that just because they're accused they did do it nevertheless in our legal system we say, you know, no, we can, we're we not going to punish you until you've actually been found guilty by a jury of your peers or by a judge. So, um, you know, what what's fair here? What's fair for this person to do? What's fair for the NFL to do? Um, it, to my mind, it's simple. You know, the NFL is not a, a, a governmental entity. The NFL is a private business. Right. And... Um, I think that if you went to a a high school and said, well, you know, your biology teacher has been accused of sexual abuse, so you just keep them on there until they're actually found guilty, and if they're not found guilty, well, you just keep them on board. And I think people would be outraged by something like that. So I think with a private business, they (laughs) have a different obligation.
1: Yeah, no, they're not. It's it, the the burden of proof for uh, the for the NFL or for other private corporations to take action on something like this is is much lower, you know, than uh, it is, you know, in terms of incarcerating someone or finding someone guilty of a crime. Um, you know, we're seeing sort of the inaction. The NFL sort of. There's a interesting thing that's happened in the last month or so um, that kind of just shows how lost the NFL is with this issue. So Roger Goodell has this press conference on September 19th, and it's very awkward. It's a very clumsy press conference. Uh, he vows that the NFL is going to do better. Uh, he vows that, uh, you know, they're going to come up with a policy and, you know, that, that, that is going to address these issues and that players who uh, uh, rape women or beat women or assault children are no longer going to be tolerated in the league. So it's less than 12 hours. To that press conference, there's a player named C.J. Spillman who's accused of sexual assault in, in uh, Grapevine, Texas. He's with the Dallas Cowboys. This happened in the Dallas Cowboys' uh, team hotel. They have a hotel in Dallas players stay at. Um, and uh, C.J. Spillman is a two-time. Uh, he's been accused twice of sexual uh, assault now in uh, the, in less than 12 months. He was with the San Francisco 49ers last year, and a woman, a massage therapist, the Santa Clara. California accused him of uh, trying to rape her after she had given him a massage. And uh, so uh, 12 hours, so less than 12 hours after Roger Goodell has his press conference, this guy is accused of uh, sexual assault and the investigation is ongoing. He hasn't been arrested and he hasn't been charged. Um, but the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys have not said a word about this guy other than, you know, he's going to play and he is, Continue to play this season, and it's just kind of like tell us why he's allowed to play. If if he, if, if there's a reason why he is allowed to play, give us that. Give us why. Clarify this. It just mm-hmm. seems like they don't know what they're doing. Like they're like they're just frozen like a deer in a headlight. Uh, they don't know how to handle this situation. Now maybe if Spillman is arrested and charged in this uh, in this Texas case, something will change. But right now, I'm 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 very skeptical of what. Goodell had to say on September 19th, because on September 20th, something happened and he didn't address it.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, for those uh, people who think that, well, it's not really that big of a deal, put yourself in the situation of that woman. Imagine having gone through that experience, then imagine having the guts to actually report it, and then have nothing happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you know i don't know why people would think that there is a false reporting problem who what, who what woman what person would want to put themselves up for that kind of scrutiny and that kind of derision because you can bet that she's being derided for her accusations so that's an excellent um, point yeah I, I you know to to what benefit would would somebody make a false allegation um so but yet i know so many men not very many women but so many men who really think that false allegations are rampant um and and their first assumption is somebody's accused is, well she just wanted this or she just wanted that and um uh, and I don't understand it, it, that must be you're a man is that some sort of self-protective posture or you know why do why do so many men that I know um think that that false allegations are just really really rampant out there
1: i i think it's just a, a, a lack of understanding i think it's a, a great deal of ignorance we hear this about sexual abuse as well you know we hear yep. from uh I, I heard it from a lot of my catholic relatives uh that that people were coming forward with these allegations because they wanted to get money from the church or or uh, something like that as yeah. you say if you want if you're looking for money go rob a bank or uh, go hold up a liquor store it's a much easier way of getting money than um than, than falsely accusing a football player or a priest uh or anyone else of, uh some sort of sexual misconduct. Um you know, I don't know, I just I think there's a great deal of ignorance and, and a great deal of of uh of naivete about these issues. And I think one of the good things that's come out of this Ray Rice situation is that we are having these discussions. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Yeah. I think that's good. What well, I don't I've never been a part of a, a football league, but it seems to me with so many problems and uh with with football players you, as you were mentioning the the brain damage the um you know the physical damage and i understand i don't have statistics in front of me but i understand that a great deal great number of professional football players who rake in uh, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars um most of them are like broke 5 or year, 5 years after they're they're uh, no longer playing
1: yeah, the so, sort of a big uh, the big myth is that professional sports you're sort of set for life afterwards. We see this also with basketball players and baseball players. If you play for certain years, I mean, sometimes these guys just don't manage their money very well. You know, I know mm-hmm. basketball players here in New York who are are supporting a couple dozen people in their families, and they literally live in paycheck from paycheck. The paychecks are large, but they literally live paycheck to paycheck. With with football, it's a it's a Especially, I think this is especially true in that your career is typically very short. You might play three, maybe four years um, for most players. Some players, of course, play as long as 20 years. But um, that's really not the, the rule. The, the rule is you play three or four years. You get done with the league. Now you make you, Most guys aren't getting multi-million dollar contracts. They might make a million dollars a year, may, maybe two million dollars a year. Quite often it's just hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, and you're in this circle, you're young, uh, you know, everybody is driving an expensive uh, new car, uh, they live in new houses, uh, they they go to nightclubs and spend money. So there's a lot of pressure on these guys to sort of live large when they're making the money. Um, sometimes they get ripped off by agents or, or uh, other people that they've asked to uh, invest their money. Uh, sometimes they just make bad investments. They invest in a restaurant that goes belly up, things like that. Um, but you know the, the the career is short, and then when you get out of football, uh, you often don't have a whole lot of training. You, you went to a, you might have gone to college, but you didn't get a degree, and you studied something like communications or sports um, management or something like that. And so these guys typically don't have, uh, especially the guys with skills. money problems. One of the reasons is because they don't have training; they don't have uh, opportunities to do anything else. There's another aspect of this as well, which is, again, we go back to these traumatic brain injuries and the chronic pain that these guys feel um, that they experience. Is A lot of times they just don't really have the wherewithal to get out of bed and, and go to work. Uh, it's a very difficult situation. There's an issue with the NFL that's really interesting. There's a lawsuit that was filed earlier this year uh, that says that the NFL you know, basically just hands up pain medication like, uh, like it's Skittles. Um, and yeah. what happens, I've written about this a lot in the past, players get, uh, you, you're using high levels of oxycontin or Vicodin or other um, really dangerous painkillers just to get out on the field. Uh, Toradol is another big one. It's an anti-inflammatory. You're not supposed to use it all that often. These guys are using it for every game to get out on the field. When you leave the league, um, you still need this pain medication. You're still experiencing the pain, but when you go to your doctor and say, I'd like to refill my prescription of Vicodin. Rather than giving you 30 pills that are supposed to last you a week, he gives you 15 pills that are supposed to last you uh for a month. And uh you know these guys are they 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 become addicted and they're they need such high levels of these drugs. Um they wind up doing things like doctor shopping, buying drugs on the street, buying drugs on, on the internet just to sort of get through their day. Uh so the home, you know, going back to the home money issue, uh, you know, they leave the league, and a lot of them are just broken people, and there's no real resources for them to get back on, you know, to, to get on their feet. And I think that's an issue that might exacerbate. Again, it's not an excuse, but it might exacerbate uh, some of these problems that we're talking about in terms of domestic violence.
0: Yeah. Well, my point um of bringing that whole financial thing up is maybe maybe the NFL needs to acknowledge that it has some sort of social responsibility um that you know not only about um teaching young players who are coming into the league about the expectations uh, for abuse and their responsibility for you know public behavior or private behavior for that matter, but also to educate these young players about money management and and that they need to find somebody trustworthy and here are some people that have been vetted and you know that kind of thing. It does does the NFL see no obligation uh, if you go if you're hired by you know any corporation uh, in America? Chances are very great that you're going to be having to take some. Uh, um, Classes on um, sexual harassment and appropriate behavior in the workplace. Well, yeah, the NFL.
1: Yeah, I mean the NFL and its union uh, and the players' union. They do, uh, you know, they have rookie symposiums and they do seminars for guys on money management and uh, you know how to talk to the media, um, how to avoid certain kinds of issues. And one of the things I think that shows the problem with the NFL was until. Not that long ago, they would do these rookie symposiums, team symposiums, in which they would tell these players, you know, you have to look out for gamblers. Guys are going to want to get close to you to give you drugs because they want to hang around with you and they're going to try to tempt you with cocaine, or there's guys who are going to be trying to give you steroids or other drugs. They used to talk about women in the same way. You know, in these rookie symposiums, watch out for women who want to get pregnant by you and then have you um, on the hook you know, for the next 18 years. Um, watch mm. out for women who uh, don't have good intentions for you. And so women were sort of put in the same sort of temptation category as cocaine or
0: gambling. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's funny. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's like, you know, that breeding funny cause we'd be attitude crying, that women are out to yeah. get you. Yeah. You know, women is the enemy, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. So the NFL does try to do some sort of stuff like that, but they may have it. They may not have the uh, most appropriate and socially acceptable information that they're handing out.
1: I don't think they look at women as so much the enemy anymore. Um, I think that that has changed uh, from what I hear. But that was certainly a, you know, if you talk to old-time players, that was what they were told. You know, a, a decade or two decades ago, and you know, think about it. The players who came up in that time are now the GMs and the coaches and the presidents Mm -hmm. of of their team. So um, that kind of thinking is uh, now institutionalized. That's the front office. Mm
0: -hmm. So the woman as a trapper, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I I can see where um, if you have that kind of attitude, if that kind of attitude is fostered, then um, it's probably not perceived as as that egregious to you know, lash out at somebody who's trying to entrap you or, uh, you know, your your enemy. Um, women yeah, are that's your,
1: you know, women aren't your sisters or your girlfriends or your mothers. They're, you know, an other.
0: Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. It's kind of like a little microcosm of our whole culture, but about 20 years behind. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, I, absolutely. Look at the way
1: the NFL responded to Michael Sam this year. Michael Sam is the first openly gay player uh, in, uh, in the NFL. Uh, he was a uh, uh, University of Missouri uh, player. He was, uh, he, he was drafted by the St. Louis Rams. Um, he was a pretty low draft point. He was just cut by the Dallas Cowboys. But a lot of the uh, NFL executives are asked about him. Would you take him on a team? You know, privately, uh, anonymously, they would tell reporters, uh, we don't want the distraction. So, Michael, you know, in America in 2014, I think the war is over. Uh, a majority of our states have a, a legal marriage uh, for, for gay people. Um, you know, we just don't really care. It's not an issue that gets us worked up anymore. In terms of the culture of war, you know, homosexuality, uh gay people, lesbian people, are just not a divisive issue anymore. They're our neighbors and our friends. Uh, but the mm-hmm. NFL still looked at uh, Michael Sam, who uh, was a good player, and uh, you know could, could fill a role in the NFL as a distraction. And that was one of the reasons why a lot of people said they wouldn't take him. So
0: very much, I think,
1: you know, they're very much 20 years behind the rest of us in terms of these social issues.
0: Hmm. So is, you know, I mean, what I always think is – And I I do not have an objection. I'm a real capitalist. You know, I want to make money. Uh, Don't you want to make money? You've got kids to raise and, you know. Sure. Um, I mean, I see no problem with wanting to make some money, as long as you do it in an ethical manner. Um, But I do think that when you're looking at these kinds of social issues, you do have to do the the follow-the-money thing. Um, If the NFL... Is motivated to do something about domestic violence from their players. Money, I think, is going to be the way to motivate them. Do you disagree with that?
1: I wouldn't. uh, Money is a great motivator for for all of us, um, but I'm not sure where you're going with that. How how would they motivate? Well, what I'm
0: saying is that you know if if the the pressure from sponsors. Who were in fact responding to pressure from the public, you know. If that continues, then I can foresee the NFL being interested in making change because it affects their bottom line. But when we talked about that earlier, you said that you think the sponsors were just kind of paying lip service too, for the most part.
1: Well, no, no one pulled any advertising dollars. I mean, it, at the end of the day, the NFL is a really effective way to reach uh, consumers, especially, uh, you know, young men between the ages of 18 and 35, you know, it's a big demographic for, for uh, corporate America. Um, you see the NFL uh, is really trying to expand. It's an interesting thing that's happening. It happens every October, but the NFL does a lot with breast cancer awareness. They team up with the Susan uh, Coleman uh, Foundation, and they, you know, you see players wearing pink everywhere, their pink shoes, mm-hmm. pink gloves. Um, mm-hmm. because the, the NFL has basically maxed itself out in terms of it can't make a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of dollars that can get out of men anymore. Uh, the men are spending <laughs> the dollars. So they got to look to women to spend more money uh, just as they're also looking to overseas markets, China and Europe. Um, there's mm-hmm. been talk in the last uh, week or so about moving a team to, or having a team in London. Um, so in order to grow, uh, you know they've been they've been trying to target women, and I think that's a good way. If, if women let sponsors know we're not cool with you supporting this company, uh, this this corporate entity, the NFL, that um, sort of looks the other way as women get sexually assaulted or get get, get beat. I, I think that might be effective. I think I think we might see some change there. But the companies aren't going to do this on their own. The NFL has got a very good thing for them. Uh, the Super Bowl is—it's uh, a global event, and it, you know you, you reach people all around the world with a commercial, with a thirty-second commercial, far more than you might with uh, months and months of advertising on other television shows. It, it's just a really—at this point, it's a really big, big. Uh, <laughs> Big, big yeah. deal in this country, and that's why I think Steve Almond's book, going back to that, is really important because he's asking us all take a take a look at your own role in this.
0: Mm, yeah, good point. Um, and I was going to give out the name Against Football. That's the uh, name of the book by Steve Almond. Um, does he say almond with no L or almond with an
1: L? Uh, almond, like the nut.
0: Okay, Um, so his book is called A Ganzball, and um, you know, for I I plan on reading that because I do believe that uh, even though I'm not terrifically well informed about athletics and sports and professional sports teams, um, this sounds interesting. I am interested in economics to a great deal, and of course, I'm interested in you know women's safety. So it sounds like a good book for me to read, quite frankly. So since the Ray Rice thing and everybody's up in arms, um, did have you seen other, you know, at different levels? Have you seen any conversation or talk about this, or has it faded already?
1: I think it's fading. I don't. I think that there was a lot of uh, anger and outrage over that video of Rice hitting his uh, uh, now wife, his then fiance, Jenny Palmer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people were uh, understandably angry, but they weren't angry enough to uh, turn off their TVs or stop going to games. Um, you know, I, I just I think there's a level of disconnect. We see this like, you know, John Stewart on the today on the Daily Show rather. He did a uh, they did a great bit a couple of weeks ago about the Washington Redskins, where you know there's a team with an with a with a offensive name. I mean, there's just no way around it. In 2014, if you don't think that that name is offensive, uh, you're an idiot. And yes. <laughs> and and they have these fans saying, well, you know, it, it honors Native Americans. And uh, you know, <laughs> so they, they, they did like a panel discussion. They brought in a bunch of fans. And then uh, they said, well, we, we want you to tell that to some real Native Americans. And they brought in these Native Americans who were like really angry about this whole thing. Um, I just think there's like a level of disconnect that people – want to believe what they want to believe. You know, the NFL, uh, uh, football in general, it's fun to watch. I played a lot of football as a kid on the street, you know, in the, in the sandlot football. It was so much fun. It was so much fun running around and tackling your friends and having, you know, just the camaraderie that comes with organized sports. But um, we also, I think, we tend to gloss over. Uh, you know the damage that we're doing to the players, the damage that we're doing to our communities in terms of the money that we spend on these stadiums, and, and uh, you know that could be used for schools or healthcare, things like that. So I'm not I'm not optimistic that things will change, but I think things will change. One of the things that we are seeing: parents are no longer willing to let their kids play football like they used to. That's a real that's been a real big change, and I think that is going to be a big factor in all this, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. Um, what's going to happen to football? You know, boxing at one point was the most popular sport in this country. Uh, now it's a niche sport, only, and the only people who participate in it are, the, the you know, the very poor, uh, the very desperate, or the very dedicated. And I could see that happening to football, but I think it's a long time off. Yeah, a
0: couple generations or maybe one generation.
1: You know, I would never have thought we'd see a black president. I would never have thought we would see marijuana legalized in two states, and I would never have thought we would see gay people as accepted as quickly as yeah. we have. So it could happen in a generation. Well, outside I, I'm of the NFL. I'm not optimistic, <laughs> but it could happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's hope. Let's hope, because I think in our culture we're so violence-oriented. And i got to say, I'm one of those moms who never let my son play football. Um you know i didn't want him to be physically abused in that way you know i you know here's the here are these kids with this you know wonderful you know these perfect little bodies and you send them out and get them all war torn by the time they're 15 um yeah. so well you know what i it, i have so enjoyed this conversation and for me to say talking about football for an hour would be enjoyable is a huge stretch But you've made it very understandable, and uh, I appreciate the fact you actually have been doing this entire interview while you're watching your your son play soccer.
1: He's in a flag football league, actually. Playing flag football.
0: Ah, football. Okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, um, okay. Well, we'll 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 say prayers for your son. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's
1: it's not. There's no. It's like a. It's a uh, no contact version of football. They have Uh, flags on their belts. And so you pull oh, those okay. rather than uh, tackling them. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate. Uh, thank your son for us for letting uh, letting you divide your attention and uh, join with us. Um, I think that we've covered this. I, I think that uh, if we we really those of us who are concerned about these kinds of issues just really need to keep concerned and not just go oh well what the heck and let it go. These kinds of changes take an awfully long time. Um one of the things that I usually do to end our show Michael is um have a quote. And this quote is from George Will. Football combines two of the worst things in America. It is it is violence punctuated by committee meetings.
1: <laughs> the only time <laughs> and- I ever agreed with uh, George
0: Will yeah, well, I thought it was pretty good, and I think that you know, for, for purposes of our our show here, we can say you know, punctuated by you know, meetings about domestic violence. So, um, thank you. Uh, gave us a lot of good information. I appreciate it. Maybe you'll come back sometime. Maybe the NFL will really come up with a doozy of a policy, and we can talk about that. I hope. Anyway, I join hope us so, next so. week. Yeah, join us next week. We're going to be here, and we're going to be talking about betrayal trauma which is uh, kind of a fascinating issue to me. Uh, if you've ever had um, uh, violence performed uh, or uh, acted out upon you, um, it's bad enough. The trauma is bad enough. But when that violence is perpetrated by somebody you depend on or somebody you love or somebody you're told um, should be caring for you, it adds a whole new level of um problems and that's called betrayal trauma so we're going to talk about that next week with a woman named melissa platt from portland join us then and thank you very much for joining us today on three women three ways is the nfl sincere about a new domestic violence policy